0: Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn in it with me to Hebrews chapter 4? Hebrews chapter 4. We're at four, verse 14 this morning, verses 14 through 16. We're at the end of the chapter. The end of chapter 4, look at God's Word. Look at verse 14 and follow along with me as I read verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession and find grace to help in time of need. Now, so far in our study in the book of Hebrews, the writer, inspired by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is challenging and encouraging believers to remain steadfast and firm in their faith that they might be able to sing it as well with my soul, right? We've heard the warnings. We've been warned by the examples the writer uses of the Israelites who failed to enter the promised land. The promised land rest. Why? Because of their unbelief. As we heard him say at the end of chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? How? Verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So the writer doesn't want anyone to make the same mistake and fail to enter God's promised rest. And remember what we've noted during our last couple of studies here, the last couple of weeks, that by rest here in Hebrews, speaking to people today, God is saying there is a promised rest, and by that rest we're talking about the rest that's that's promised to all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. eternal rest the the rest the eternal rest that god gives to all who trust in jesus christ as as lord and savior recognizing i'm a sinner and i'm doomed and my only hope is faith in christ because he was punished for my sins he took it all on himself at calvary and he came through victorious because After he died and was buried, God raised him from the dead. Praise God. And so, because I'm a sinner and I need saving, and my only salvation is through faith in Christ, I put my faith in Him for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life through Christ, eternal rest. And and along comes with with that some present rest. It is well with my soul, right? Right? We can say, I rejoice in the fact that, that I am saved no matter what I'm going through, this side of eternity, this side of heaven. Uh, my hope is in the Lord because of Jesus Christ. And so God, through the writer of Hebrews, has been emphasizing the superiority of Christ. He is supreme. There is nothing better than Jesus. There is no one better than Jesus. Making it clear, we've heard it again and again. In the, I keep reminding you of this because I don't want you to forget. There is no one and nothing better than Jesus. The writer makes it clear. He is superior to the prophets, to angels, to Moses. And as such, he is worthy of your faith. He is worthy of your trust. And he is completely capable to save all who put their trust in him. He is completely capable. And because Christ is better than all, The writer has also been emphasizing the risk of drifting away from the truths that you've been told about him. There is the risk of drifting away from the truth if one fails to heed all they have heard about Christ. And so he says, chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. What have we heard? We've heard God's word. We've heard about Jesus Christ, all kinds of things, lest we drift away from it. And then in chapter 3 and verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And then in verse 6, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And so the writer is encouraging and challenging believers to have faith in Christ and keep your eyes fixed on Christ, lest you drift. Keep your eyes on Christ. Fix your eyes on His faithfulness toward you to forgive you eternally your sins. So that God looks on you as righteous because Christ is righteous. And then be faithful to him. Be faithful to Christ. And this is so important. He also makes this the task of the body of Christ, the church. That we should care for one another so much. We care for each other so much. We should. We should care for each other so much that we don't want to see anybody drift from the truth. That we would keep encouraging and admonishing and correcting and, and strengthening each other to obey God's word, keeping your eyes fixed on Christ. Would you go back to chapter 3 and verse 12? Chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We ought to be so concerned for the spiritual health of each other in God's church that we take this passage to heart and we look for ways that we can exhort and encourage each other as long as we still have a day to breathe and live, that we live that day for God's glory. And part of that means that we look out for the needs of each other spiritually and we say, don't drift, keep loving the Lord. Come to the to the fellowship of the church as we gather in to to this place we call God's house. Why? Because where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, right? And we say, let's come together as a church and encourage each other. Remain faithful. Believe God's word. Now go obey God's word this week. And how are you doing? And, and what are you struggling with? And how can I pray for you? Being attentive to the not only the physical needs, we do pay a lot of attention to physical needs, and that's important, but not just physical needs, but to spiritual needs. Do not overlook that responsibility that you have as a church to care for the needs of one another. Your pastor cannot do it all. God never intended for your pastor to do it all. Right? Why? Because we're a body. And we, we, we work best when we're working together as the body of Christ. Many members that make up the body of Christ serving together. For one thing, think about it. I'm not just trying to to defend myself here necessarily, but think about it. I can't know every need of every person in this fellowship like, like we can as a as a web of believers, right? With all of our connections, we can know better how to care for the needs of each other. You know better about some people's needs than I do. I know better about some people's needs than you do. And if we're not caring for each other, if we're not paying attention, we could drift from the truth, Therefore, holy brothers, chapter 3, verse 1, you who share in heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Keep your eyes on Christ. Consider Jesus. And keep considering Jesus. That's why the writer, as we saw last week, reminds us that we need the word of God. We need each other. And we need to use the word of God in our own lives and to encourage each other. Because we live in a fallen world, and the temptation to drift will remain until until we die. God calls us home through death, or he returns for his, for his saints through the rapture of the church. And and that would be okay too, right? Or maybe that'd be even better, right? Nobody wants to die. Right? But we know, we know we're we're gonna be far better off when God calls us home. Either way, rapture or through death. And so we are to encourage each other as the church, instruct each other, and strengthen one another to hold fast, to consider Jesus, to pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest you drift away from it. We need to help one another to continue to do the same things that that we've been told by God's Word to do. Because if we don't, we'll be tempted to drift. The temptation to drift remains. In fact, in fact, it's even easier than being tempted to drift. All you have to do to drift from what you know about Christ is to do nothing. Right? To do nothing. God is saying, do something. Consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on Christ. Take His Word. And that's why the writer, as we saw last week, reminds us that we need the Word of God. We must be diligent to hide God's Word in our hearts that we might not sin against God by the sin of unbelief. You need the Word. I need the Word. Why? Chapter 4, go back to chapter 4 now, verse 12. Because the word of God is living and active. Do you understand that? Don't just skim those words. Don't just skim that idea. Don't just skip over that. Living and active. Oh, good, good. God's word is living and active. Happy day, right? Do you take that seriously? I do. I hope you do. guess what? The fact that God's Word is living and active gives me great courage and boldness to come here today and proclaim the truth of God's Word. Because I am nothing. I am absolutely nothing. And I can't believe that God gives me the the opportunity to tell you what His Word says. And I think of all people, who am I to speak to you about God? But you know what God says? This is my word, and it is living and active and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. So wield that thing, right? Take the word and tell people what it says, and then get out of their way. And so please take the word. Believe it. Obey it. Because it's living and active. you cannot hide from God's word you can hide from me you can come here we all look nice today right how are you fine how are you I'm fine too how was your my week was great how about your week it was wonderful everything okay at home absolutely everything's great at home how about you yeah yeah everything's super at home we just you know doesn't get any better than this does it Rubbish. Right? God knows what you need. And he, and he put the answer to what you need in his word. Read it. You can't hide from it if you'll read it. We can hide from each other, can't we? We can hide from each other. But you can't hide from God's word because it's living and active. So I say to you today, be diligent, beloved, loved by God. Be diligent to remain faithful to Christ. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning You cannot hide from God's word, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You cannot hide from God's word, and no creature, says verse 13, is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Please take seriously the fact that God's word is living and active, and take this reminder to heart. You need God's word. You need to read it. And even if it's faltering baby steps you take, take them in obedience to God's Word daily. Look at your life. Look at God's Word. Let God's Word expose your life for what it is and start taking baby steps of obedience every day. Guess how much God God requires, how much faith God requires of you that He might bless it the size of a mustard seed, mustard seed-sized faith. It's tiny, right? God doesn't require you to be a super saint. He wants you to be a super saint. He wants you to live victoriously for him, conquering sin with the wonderful power of his word and his spirit at work in you. But guess what? He'll bless. Baby steps. Take the word in. It's living and active. Trust God. He'll do his work in you if you'll read it and start taking steps of obedience. I know that you and I know some things that we should be doing that we're probably not doing. And if we'll start taking steps of obedience, God will bless you and honor you and help you along the way. We need the Word of God, so we must put it into our hearts and minds and lives because the Word of God knows just who we are and just what we need and can pierce right to the nerve center of the needs of our soul to deliver hope and confidence and help and correction. But that's not all the writer has for us, is it? You notice I haven't gotten to the end of the chapter yet. How do you like that for an introduction? As we come to the closing verses of chapter 4 today, we find that there is something else that is absolutely necessary. Something else that is absolutely necessary to help guard our hearts and lives against unbelief. Our passage this morning is declaring that those who have faith in Christ should with confidence, look at verse 16, should with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. What does that mean? With confidence draw near to the throne of grace. What does that mean? Well, for one thing it means that we have another resource through Christ. We have another resource through Christ, a, another blessing given by God through Christ. The blessings just don't stop, do they? God is gracious. He is a gift-giving God. another resource through Christ, available to all who have faith in Christ. And this is why the writer's been pounding this drum. Have faith in Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Consider Jesus. Pay much closer attention to what you've heard about Him lest you drift. Because there are so many resources available through faith in Christ. available to all who have faith in Christ because of who Christ is and what he has done, finished, accomplished. What does it mean to, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace? First of all, let's break it down a little bit. What is the throne of grace? Well, think of who it is the Bible tells you reigns and rules from on high. Who is it that reigns and rules from on high? Who is it that sits in the heavens and his earth is the footstool? Right? That is God, right? It's God. So think of the throne of grace as God's throne. God's throne. The throne of grace is simply another way of speaking of the the throne of God. He doesn't need a literal throne. He's got the heavens, right? He's God. Because, you know, like the earth can be his footstool. It's pretty great, isn't it? I mean, imagine that. God is a mighty God. He is a creator of the universe. The creator. He made you. And God is a mighty God. And think of the throne of grace as another way of speaking of the throne of God. And think of God's nature. What does the God's word tell us about God's nature? I like a passage like Psalm 89 and verse 14. It makes clear that God is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. Saying, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Guess what? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. It tells us something about God's nature, he is sinless, he is righteous, he is also a just God. And because of his steadfast love and faithfulness, we have Christ. Because he is a righteous and just God that says, I cannot bear with sin, I can't overlook sin, but I'll send my son to be the punishment for sinners. And our passage here in verse 16 echoes The truth of Psalm 89.14, righteousness and justice are are the foundation of your throne, steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Verse 16 here in chapter 4 of Hebrews echoes that truth when it says the throne of grace is a place to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And what is this drawing near? What's that mean? The writer, I'm going to suggest the writer is talking about Prayer. Prayer. The believer, think of it, the believer. What do you do if you believe? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know that God is mighty and powerful and hears and answers what? Prayer. So if you believe, you're going to do what? You're going to pray. The writer is speaking of prayer here. The believer draws near. If the, if you believe, you're going to want to draw near to the throne of, of grace through prayer, and that, and that is humble, submissive dependence on God as you trust Him with everything in and about your life. You trust Him with every need of your life, physical and spiritual. You trust Him, so you go to Him in prayer. You draw near to the throne of grace because you know God is mighty and powerful and He answers prayer if you were to ask me why you should draw near to the throne of grace, why you should pray, I would, tell the, I would tell you that you should pray because if you do, drawing on our understanding from this passage, if you do, you'll be drawing near to God. You'll be drawing yourself near to God, who is known, what does this passage tell us? Who is known for mercy and grace steadfast love and faithfulness. So, draw near, right? Draw near. Go to God in prayer. And may I suggest that you take everything to Him. Take it all to Him. As the writer of Hebrews says here in verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Listen, if you are confident in your friendship with someone who is near and dear to you, what do you tell them? If you're confident in your friendship with them, you tell them everything. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. With confidence. Now how is it we can approach the throne of grace with this confidence? How is it that we can have confidence before God? The answer comes before verse 16. Go back to verses 14 and 15. Since then we have a great high priest, says verse 14, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet... Without sin. You see, through faith in Christ, we can draw near to God in worshipful, humble, yielded prayer. And why do I say yielded? Because God's ways are not our ways at times, are they? And sometimes He says, I'm, I'm glad to hear your prayer, but I'm going to answer it a little different than you suggest. <laughs> and to that we should say, Praise God, right? Because it is Christ who has accomplished our salvation. And it is appropriate to come to God in prayer with confidence, with that yielded humility saying, here's my prayer, God, here's my request, here's my prayer. Here's my need, here's my burden, here's the need of my neighbor, here's the, the concern for my child, here's the concern for my parent, here's the problem, here's the request. But not my will, your will. And And we can pray that way with confidence. Not because we've earned the right to do so, but because the Lord Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sins and he has opened the doors of heaven, so to speak, so that our prayers may pass through God. And by the shedding of his blood, Jesus opens the way for us to approach God in prayer with confidence. This is just what we see if we skip ahead to Hebrews chapter 10 where it says in verses 19 to 22, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So it's there the writer of Hebrews says, he says it again, let us draw near. Let us draw near to God. Go to God with confidence and prayer, right? Go to Him confidently. What an incredible privilege has been given to all who trust in Christ. By the grace of God, and through the shed blood and his finished work, that is Christ on the cross, God hears the prayers of his children. And note why else the writer of Hebrews is telling us to approach God in prayer with confidence. Because we have a great high priest. The great high priest. According to verse 14, you see, in the Old Testament we see the priest constantly having to come before God with sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, repeatedly bringing sacrifice. That was what God required of them. But when Jesus came and lived a sinless life, and suffered and died for our sins, he did away with that sacrificial system. He did away with it. He obliterated it. He did away with that sacrificial system once and for all, paying the price for our sins with his own body on the cross. And as Hebrews 7:27 says, he has no need like those high priests speaking about the Old Testament. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus had no sins of his own for which he needed to sacrifice. But he took on our sins. He took them on himself. He had no sins which needed a sacrifice, but we do. We need, we need a sacrifice for our sins. And he, Jesus Christ, is the once for all Sacrifice for sin, making him the great high priest. The last one. And note verse 14 says of him that he has passed through the heavens. What does that mean? Well, let the writer of Hebrews explain. Hebrews 7.26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, And, and he's exalted. Exalted above the heavens. Why? Because he's holy, innocent, unstained. Right? Hebrews 9.24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. There's another reason to come boldly. with confidence before the throne of grace, because Jesus is there on our behalf, interceding. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, having ascended to the right hand of God, has passed through the heavens, and he's become higher than the heavens. And note also that according to verse 15, Jesus is a sympathetic high priest, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And just think about this. This is an incredible thought. Jesus is God. But he came and lived as a man. So God takes on flesh. He's the God-man. God incarnate. Jesus is able to sympathize. He's sympathetic. He's a sympathetic high priest. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Yes, he's God. But guess what? He lowered himself. put on human flesh. And he t- took on himself the same temptations that we deal with. and we give in to, but he did not. You see, the feeling conveyed in the original language is much stronger and intense than what we've translated here in the word sympathize. It's good, it's helpful, but in the original it's a little bit more powerful than that. And In fact, it actually means, literally means, to suffer with. And one commentator says it describes the feeling of one who enters into the suffering and makes it his own. Now, how did Jesus do this? Well, it's seen in verse 15 also. In every respect, he has been tempted as we are, with one exception, yet without sin. In fact, he's endured more temptation than we have if we've ever given in to sin. Think about it. Have you ever given in to sin? Let me answer that for you. I don't even want you to try, right? Uh, Yes, you have, right? And yes, I have. Do you give in to temptation to sin? Yes, you do. Do I give in to temptation to sin? Yes, I do imperfect as we are, still fighting the flesh, right? Jesus never gave in to temptation. Imagine that. He went all the way through the suffering of temptation. You and I don't even know what that feels like. How about we, with confidence, go to the throne of grace and ask God for help to do that? God, help me to endure temptation and say, no, 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 no! And be victorious in Christ, because I have Christ in me. Because I have the Holy Spirit, and I have his word. In every respect, in, in every temptation we face, Jesus went all the way through the temptation to be victorious and say a final no to sin. And the fact is, he was tempted as we are, and yet did not sin, means that he is completely qualified to be the merciful and faithful high priest. He's, he's the one. Back in chapter 2, verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, propitiation, Jesus, the acceptable sacrifice for our sins. And because he knows what temptation is, and having suffered the full force of temptation, unlike we who give in too quickly to temptation, he did not sin. And he is able to come to the aid of those who are being tempted. Get it? So come boldly come with confidence before before the throne of grace because he's able to help you it says verse 2 or chapter 2 verse 18 for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted because of all this God moved the writer the one who The human writer, God inspired the human writer, who we don't exactly know who it is. Some say Paul, but but many Bible scholars say we don't think it's Paul, but we're not sure who. But we believe this is God's word. Inspired by God, God moves the writer of Hebrews to call on all who believe in Jesus Christ, saying in verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you have times of need? Yes, you do. Of course you do. Are you tempted to sin? Yes, you are. Yes, I am. Are you tempted to doubt God at times? Well, let's put it this way. If you give in to the temptation to sin, you just doubted God. And so did I, right? Are you tempted to give up in trusting God? We're all tempted, aren't we? In many ways. But help is ours in our time of need. So God's word says, approach the throne of grace with confidence. And note that those who draw near with their faith in Christ receive mercy and find grace to help. In other words, you receive mercy, meaning you don't get what you do deserve. Praise God. And you receive grace to help in time of need, meaning you do get what you don't deserve. Remember, that's only only because of Christ your great high priest, the great high priest who's passed through the heavenlies. There is present hope for all who trust in Christ that even now the Lord is demonstrating His mercy and His grace. The fact that you're breathing today, right? is evidence that God is merciful, gracious. But there's present hope. You see, it's not only eternal hope. That's our highest hope. That's our highest aim, right? We say, that will be glory. When we look forward to heaven, right? When we're done with sin, and we see Christ as He is, and then we'll be like Him. And we look forward to that day. But there is present hope for all who trust in Christ that even now the Lord is demonstrating His mercy and grace toward us through Christ. Because of the faithfulness of Christ, But there is also that heavenly hope which is ours because of the finished work of Christ at Calvary and in that we we praise God. And because of that finished work and that eternal destiny that is ours, we can right now come boldly, come with confidence before the throne of grace and gain God's mercy and help in time of need see, there's that heavenly hope which is ours because of the finished work of Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is calling to believers to keep their eyes fixed on Christ. Believers, let me call you believers, beloved, keep your eyes on Christ. Draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. Remember, this confidence is not your own. So when you feel like you don't have any, perfect. But may I also suggest he is also calling to those who have not trusted in Christ. Just think of this. He is calling to those who have not trusted in Christ as well to draw near to the throne of grace. Approach God even now, even in this moment, as you realize you're a sinner in need of saving, even now as you realize you need to repent of your sin to God in prayer and believe in Jesus Christ, approach God now in prayer if you've never trusted Christ. Confess to God that you're a sinner. Tell Him, you trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You trust in His Son. And if you do that, you can come with confidence. You can come before God with with confidence. You can draw near to the throne of grace. Because of Christ... Sinners can come to God with confidence to receive mercy, forgiveness of sins, and find grace to help you live as God's child. Believer, don't ever forget it. Keep your eyes on Christ. Unbeliever, do not tarry. Trust in Christ even now. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we praise you for your precious Son, Jesus Christ. And since we have such a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, your Son, oh God, help us hold fast our confession. Those who who say their faith is in Christ, Lord, help us to hold fast to Christ. Help us to look to Christ. And Lord, we know we can have confidence because we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We know that in every respect, he's been tempted like we're tempted. And yet, he went through all that temptation and never sinned. So that that reminds us we, we can have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace because he's able to save us. So Lord, help us to draw near to the throne of grace with great confidence in Christ that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And those needs are many. So Lord, help us to trust in Christ always in His finished work. Help us to believe in Your Word. Help us to trust in Your goodness and grace and mercy. That You give mercy and You give grace to help us live for You every day for Your glory. And You and you give blessings, your merciful God. We praise you for the blessings that we know will be ours in each day that you give us breath. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.